it's so empowering to me to know that and rest into that in every sexual meeting that I have, that I don't owe anything at any time. And you can stop whenever you want. Exactly. Hey, lovebirds. Today, we're talking about pornography and its effects on sexuality. And Fia Summer is my guest. She's a relatively young person who grew up looking at and learning from pornography. She had unrestricted access to hardcore pornography, which is not really my experience growing up. Uh, For me, you know, porn started with images and chat rooms and it wasn't as unthrottled as it is now. So Fia and I explore these effects. How did this affect her sexuality? And also, how did she transition away from using pornography? And I'm doing something new. I'm splitting my convos, my convos, Jesus, my conversations into two episodes to make them shorter and easier to listen to. And I think the plan for now is to release one on Tuesday and one on Thursday. This is part one of my conversation with Fia Sommer. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Do I pronounce your name Fia? Fia, yes. I got it. Will you introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Fia. <laughs> and I'm, oh, should I say what I am? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you answer <laughs> answer in the way that makes sense for you. It's kind of an open-ended question. Okay, that's good. Yeah. But go ahead. So do it again? No, no, just go. I'll, this, is, this is gold right here. <laughs> all right i am i'm human as fuck and i like to share everything that's raw Mm. and real and i like to talk about taboos and about everything that i feel like we didn't talk enough about when i was young you're still young kind of yeah i know but like when i was really young (laughs) i'm still young also exactly it's all we're all young it's all perspective well no i think we're not all young (laughs) i think at some point (laughs) it's perspective right there's a tipping point at some point you're you're just old you know before before we jump into talking about taboo stuff how is your heart today it's um it's (laughs) It actually, it feels open and vulnerable because I just spend a weekend with a person that touched me deeply Mm. and kind of deeper than people usually do. So it feels both 
open in a new way and also kind of vulnerable. I feel like you need it needs to be open in order for it to be vulnerable and vice versa, right? I mean, that's that's the opening. How did this person open you up? Just curious. Mm. The person <laughs> made me feel seen and held in on a deeper level by actually by calling out my bullshit. Mm. And I love that. And it doesn't happen that often with people I'm around. So I love when I meet people who can call out my bullshit <laughs> and hold me there. What was the bullshit? <laughs> You're making this too easy on me. <laughs> mm, the bullshit was... I think I build up a story about having to be super independent during the past year or so. I found out the strength in being by myself and feeling strong and like taking responsibility for all parts of my life and for myself and my actions and my feelings and all of this. And then I kind of went into a story about me having to deal with everything myself, kind of. Um, or at least being able to hold myself, which is really important, but it's also important to be able to let others hold you sometimes. Yeah. Especially in, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really beautiful. <laughs> I was single for a long time and was used to just taking care of everything on my own. And and I thought it was independence. And, and it is, right? And then my therapist was was saying, uh, it's it's independence, but it also can move into anti-dependence. You know, there's codependence on one side, there's independence in the middle, and then there's anti-dependence, which is just not depending on anybody for anything because you can't trust anyone to do it right. Yeah. And I I did that for a long time. Yeah, I think that was where I was kind of moving. Wow, so so cool. Yeah. To have somebody call you out on that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting how we... Because I, I was in a really codependent place before. Um, like in a codependent relationship and not taking responsibility for a lot of things. And that, and then, like, it's interesting how you move from this one extreme to the other. <laughs> always. Hmm. I feel like always when I start, you know, seeing things, then I move to the other extreme, kind of, and then I find the middle. And it's cool how, at least in this situation, I, I had this, like, helper coming into my life and making me aware that Right now, I'm actually moving to the other extreme. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's like uh, I'm just thinking of like a pendulum going from one end to yeah. the other, and then eventually settling into the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Did you guys have great love making? <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. Very much. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. You said on Instagram that it was going to get juicy, so. Mm, now it is. Yeah. 
I love your questions. <laughs> I'm feeling very inquisitive today. What are we talking about today? We are going to talk about porn, right? I'm curious what your <laughs> experience with pornography has been thus far. So the reason I'm, I'm, I want to talk about porn is because it has had a big influence on my life and my sexual life and my love life up until like a few years ago when I started questioning. Um, so I feel like it has had a negative influence in my life. I started watching porn quite early and I think I'm part of the, like one of the first generations that has had porn so available for like, or from such an early age. So I think I started watching porn when I was maybe 10, 11-ish. Um, and that's way before I started having sex or interact in a sexual way with other people. And so I feel like it colored my idea about sex and how I should act, how my partner should act, how it should look like, how it should sound like, all of these things. Mm. It really kind of colored it in a in a limiting kind of way. Um, and I have spent a lot of time on taking off the layers or like unlearning all of this again to find like real, <laughs> real pleasure mm. um, and connection and actually experience with like what sex can be like. So you're a little bit younger than I am. I think you're 24 years old, right? Yep. I'm 37. I had access to porn. I didn't start watching it as early as you did, but I had access to porn from the age of like 13 on. And I had to go, at first, I had to go on AOL, which you might not know what that is, but... Um, no. <laughs> what is it? It's like, it was like a portal that you can access that you could like get news and you can chat with people. And there was like one of the main features of AOL for me was that there were chat rooms and you can mm -hmm. chat with people all over the world. And there was all these like different types of chat rooms. And I would go into these chat rooms and we would trade pictures like images. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that was like the first introduction to pornography was just images. And then also like if I got my hands on like a porno mag, yeah. Um, so that's where it was. But it quickly, I got quickly, like by the age of like 15, I had access to a website. Uh, I still remember the name. It was called Richard's, Richard's Realm. Dot <laughs> 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 com. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And Richard's Realm had like snippets, previews of porn videos. So it was essentially the same as having access to like Pornhub, but it was just like previews. And, you know, mm -hmm. let's be honest, a preview is all you really need. <laughs> and so I only needed a minute of a porno. I didn't, not that it would take only take me a minute. I would just watch a whole bunch of them until I found the one that I wanted. Yeah. Um, so I also had access pretty young. It just wasn't, I think it wasn't as easy and it wasn't as prevalent. And I had to use like the computer that was in like our living room. And so I had to wait for my parents to be gone 
yeah. out of the house or in bed. Whereas now, I mean, you can access it anywhere all the time with your phone. Yes. And I guess it's even like more intense for the younger, like people who are even younger than me, because they get an iPad from the age of what? I don't know, nine? I don't know when you give children iPads. Nine sounds sounds late, actually. Late, right? Yeah, but that's crazy. (laughs) But uh, I think, like, for sure, there's always been a possibility to get the magazines or the pictures or something like that. But I think Pornhub and the, the whole concept of, like, having so much available, like, so many different genres and so many videos for free that's quite new right i think pornhub was released in the early 2000s yeah yeah so how has it affected your sex life like what was it what did it look like early on i got this idea about how sex should be like from watching all these porn videos and also, I got an idea about my own pleasure during sex before I even had sex. So I was represented in a way in porn, like seeing the women. I could, I, I felt represented in the women. And then I saw what gave them pleasure. And I thought that would be like, so I linked my own experience of pleasure to what I had seen women gain pleasure from in porn. And I don't feel like that's a representation of how the female body works. I can't just vigorously penetrate you for 70 minutes (laughs) in two positions. (laughs) And you're going to scream ecstatically and come all over the place like several times. No, (laughs) that's not how it works. (laughs) Oh I've been doing it wrong. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't believe you. Wow. So you learned incorrectly that women's pleasure comes from a very limited set of activities that are depicted in pornography. Yes. And, and I feel like it has nothing to do with real life, like, and how my body works at least i i i don't feel like that's represented and and you see all these women in porn that are paid to look like someone who enjoys it and Mm. who comes and who feels pleasure right from these things but they are paid to do it and it's probably not real most of the time Mm. and that creates a a wrong image i feel like yeah so i feel like most of the sex i had was me and the sexual partner or the partner i had we entered the sexual space (laughs) and then we just both pressed play Mm. on our scripts Mm. and we were both doing how we like what we learned we should do like as a man and as a woman and we were just going in that script and kind of playing our own manuscript and never really connecting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how my sex life looked like for a long time. Yeah. I like to think of the traditional script of heterosexual sex as make out oral 
penetrate pastrami sandwich. <laughs> what sandwich? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was walking this morning and I go, oh, I'm going to say pastrami sandwich. And she's going to say, she's going to say, what is that? <laughs> so you did plan ahead. <laughs> I planned. I just, it's a thing that I say kind of often. And I, and I knew that it might come up in this conversation. And then I thought that you might be confused about pastrami is like a type of smoked meat it's mm-hmm. like beef that's cured and smoked and mm-hmm. it's usually eaten on a rye bread with mustard. Anyways, the idea <laughs> is that... <laughs> what are you referring to? Is, is that this, it's like, you know, you, you make out, you have oral sex, you uh, engage in penetrative sex, and then somebody goes and makes a sandwich. You know, it's, it's a very limited script. And it's rote in the sense that people use it over and over and over again and it's not really descriptive of what sex actually can look like right it's just one it's one option and it oftentimes people stick to it because it kind of works it can work for some yeah. people but sex is so much broader than that i mean it includes so many more activities And it requires you to check in with the other person, which you don't get to see in pornography. No one's checking in and no one's taking any time. If we're talking about, you know, how long it takes for a woman generally to be aroused, it's much longer than a man. And, you know, I guess 60 minutes of making out and cuddling and slowly building the action and stoking the fire wouldn't sell a lot of videos. No, it probably wouldn't. Or get a lot of views, I guess, at this point. It's more about views yeah. than selling anything. So how did you transition from this you know, incorrect view of what sex should look like <laughs> to something that made sense for you? I had this big, big turning point in my life where... I had like a burnout and I started questioning everything and a lot of, I had to deal with a lot of inner things. And in that process, I, yeah, as, as I said, I questioned everything. So I also started digging into my sexuality and I had some old traumas around sex coming up. Um, so that had me, I just had to work with my sexuality and I had to release some sexual traumas and I had to learn to understand my body to be able to release it. Um, And I realized that I had actually been quite numb in my, like in my yoni or like I, I didn't really feel anything when I was, uh, receiving oral sex or like during penetration, everything had to be really, really rough for me to feel anything. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was, I was, that started quite a deeper journey, uh, to find pleasure, to understand my body and to, find a new way of having sex what does that new way look like um connection (laughs) yeah 
I feel like like it's all about me connecting to my own body and to mm. myself, to my own pleasure, and and then from that space connecting to a partner and tapping into the now. Like meditation learned me, or taught me a lot also in the sexual space. You know, like I learned meditation, but it helps me a lot when I have sex or yeah, I, I tap into the present moment when having sex and connect to my partner from that space mm. um, without having an idea about where we have to go or how it has to be or I like letting go of all the expectations around how sex has to look like um, around orgasms around that it has to turn into something like actually I, I for me sex just looks like entering an intimate space where we connect and then just letting it flow until we stop i love that yeah it's also very nice <laughs> yeah it's nice well you just touched on so many things um i've been thinking about this idea of presence over performance yeah. You know, I mean, that's really what I'm going to generalize, but that's what women want from men. Mm-hmm. It's not your performance. Mm-mm. It's not your ability to make me come. It's not your ability to maintain an erection or to stay hard for 60 minutes. That's not what's important for most people. Yeah. It's are you able to be present for this moment? Yep. And this moment, and this moment. Yeah. Regardless of what happens to your erection or to your arousal or to your desire, and to just be present for what is and what will continue to change and flow. Exactly. And not be worried about your performance or the orgasm. Right? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm reading a book called Good Sex by Jessica Graham. And it's about mind. It's about mindful sex. And there's this idea in there that when you are, gosh, I wonder if that's even in that book or if it's something I might have touched on recently. <laughs> but it's a great book in any case. I just don't want to lead people astray. The idea that when you are focusing on orgasm, you are no longer in the present moment. Yep. Because you want to go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the future. Yeah. Oh, that was, I'm sorry, that's Slow Sex by Diana Richardson. Hmm. Not to be confused with Slow Sex by Nicole Daydon, which is the <laughs> founder of One Taste, the orgasmic meditation, now defunct uh, institute in California. Um, this idea that the f- yeah, when you focus on orgasm and giving your partner an orgasm, you are no longer in the present moment. You're in a future state. Yep. And you can feel like it's because I was just thinking about some experiences I've had where where I can stay in the present moment, but I can feel that my partner really wants to give me an orgasm Mm -hmm. and he kind of goes away from the present moment and stops feeling the moment and feeling me. And and in that moment, it's just like... mm, it kind of destroys the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny, right? The this it's 
sort of noble to want to please, right? Yeah. If you just yeah. on the surface, wanting to please is generally a good thing if it comes from a good place. But oftentimes I feel like it's not coming from the right place. It's coming from a place of ego and pride and wanting to be the kind of person who makes their partner come and less about just really being present for your partner's pleasure. I'm much more interested in creating an orgasmic environment in a kind of environment that is safe and arousing and exciting that invites orgasm in. Yes. Instead of focusing on the orgasm. That's what I've been trying to do with my partner. That's beautiful and interesting as well that you say this, like that wanting to give someone an orgasm can be like an act from the ego Mm -hmm. because I haven't really thought about it. I think for me, I've, I've spent a lot of years like giving someone oral sex and liking it when I started and then feeling like I have to finish it, mm. like finish in a sense that like he has to come. Yeah. So I keep going even though I don't enjoy. Yeah. And I always felt like it was coming from this like idea that I have to please and I have to be good enough and it's kind of my duty. Mm. Yeah. But maybe that's my ego as well. Well, yeah. I mean, there's also the fact that you're, you know, have been raised a woman Mm -hmm. in a society that has probably told you that you need to, you do need to please and you shouldn't, you shouldn't take too much room and your job is yeah. to is to satisfy men. Yeah. Regardless of whether you want to or not. Regardless of whether mm-hmm. your jaw and your neck are sore. Exactly. You just have to That's power how it through. felt like. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like when I look back, like and I've done the same while having penetrative sex, like uh having something hurt, like if we're feeling uncomfortable or yeah, or like not feeling good and just letting it happen anyways, because I feel like I have to please, or I cannot say no. Like the moment I understood, I can actually just like move my body. If the angle is not nice, or I can ask him to change positions. It was like, that's like one and a half years ago. Before that, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that that option is actually an option. I just thought, hmm, it's gonna, you know, I just need to kind of accept this. And at some point he's going to move or he's going to come and then it's going to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I want to specify that when I said that wanting to please your partner can come from a selfish or an ego place. I generally meant that about men giving women orgasms. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to women giving men orgasms, it probably comes from a place of wanting to please. Yeah. Um, But it's, yeah. And that's super interesting because I never thought about that like that. It may come from that perspective from the male or the men's side. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's generally where it comes from. Yeah. Um, there's this idea in the slow sex book 
is also that individually we are responsible for our pleasure. We are not responsible for the other person's pleasure. Mm-hmm. So if we both take ownership over our own pleasure, well, then we don't really have to worry about the other person. Yes. And we can co-create something. We can show up mm-hmm. and create an exciting lovemaking session together. Mm-hmm. Not just one person responsible for making the other person come. Yep. And that's where the magic kind of happens. And that's where I can, like in that kind of space, I can feel free when, for example, giving oral pleasure, I can tap into my own pleasure and feeling pleasure from it or yeah. like while doing it. And then I have no feelings of obligation to keep going or to raise the tempo or anything. I can just be with it. Mm in a pleasurable way for me and i don't have to like obey his want of having it faster or i don't know or his impulses or Hmm. you know what i mean oh my god yes (laughs) to me that feels so good to hear that Mm -hmm. to hear a woman say i am giving him oral sex because it feels good to me And I don't have to do it unless I want to do it. I don't have to increase the speed unless I want to increase the speed. Mm -hmm. That feels good to me. Mm -hmm. Feels good to me too. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And in general, like what you're saying, like understanding that you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. Like you you don't owe anything when you tap into a sexual space. Like, it's just it's so empowering to me to know that and rest into that in every sexual meeting that I have. Just resting into knowing that I don't owe anything at any time. And you can stop whenever you want. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny, this is sort of an aside, but not really. I have a friend, had a friend. It's not really a friend anymore because I haven't seen him in so long. His name is Rafi and he lives in San Francisco. And I invited him and one other person to a small birthday dinner. So it was just us three. And the day of, I just confirmed that he was going to come and he goes, no, I don't feel like it. And I go, what, dude, what? Mm. It's just the three of us. And he's like, yo, dude, don't try to guilt me into coming to your birthday dinner. Mm -hmm. I don't do anything I don't want to do. Fuck yes. And I was like, (laughs) fuck that guy. (laughs) What a fucking prick. Yeah. And then I understood. I really like, I admire that. I admire him saying, you know what, dude, it's just not right for me right now. I I can't. It wouldn't be, I mean, he didn't say any of this, but it wouldn't be in integrity for me to show up. It wouldn't be authentic because I don't want to. Yes. I apply that philosophy now to most areas of my life. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to like, you know, you go see your grandma, you don't really feel like it, but you you know, it's going to be good for everybody and and you're going to enjoy it. There's that. That's different. That's different than like continuing to blow someone when you don't really want to. Yeah. Because you think that that's what they want. Yeah. Also, let's be honest here. Giving blowjobs is hard. (laughs) Yes. It is so much harder oh than than eating pussy. Maybe, uh, yeah. 
No, yeah. I know. Yeah, I know too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have more, much more experience eating pussy than I do giving blowjobs. I'm only given a handful of blowjobs, but there, it's just so difficult, especially to completion. My God. Yeah. Chapeau to everybody who does. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a, for me at least, reaching orgasm from oral sex, like receiving it, very, it would take a very long time. Yeah. So I don't yeah. blame anybody who doesn't want to go all the way. No. And also, I like, I've just experienced so many times in my life that at some point the man just wants to come and he doesn't really care about your mouth anymore like <laughs> he just taps into this fucking energy mm. and it like oh i i it hurts my heart when i think back on those moments where i didn't know that i didn't owe and i didn't know that i could just stop or say no or you know pull back mm. but i felt like i just had to like kind of prostitute my mouth <laughs> for yeah. his satisfaction. Yeah. And it felt so uncomfortable, but that was just the way it was. And that was also to come back to pornography. That is what I was raised to do. I feel like because pornography kind of became my sex education. Yeah. That's a fairly familiar scene, right? Fucking somebody's mouth. Yeah. The few times I've done that in my life was in like a very loving container. Mm. It can be, it can be pleasurable. Absolutely. When it's done with intention. Yeah. And when both parties are like both want it. Mm. And you're opened up. Like, I feel like my body has to open up. It's not just my like yoni. It's my like in my mouth also has to open up or like my throat. Sh- I don't know if we can talk about chakras, but I feel like when we I- can't talk about ch- not on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. No chakra talk. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. No, go ahead. One time exception. <laughs> No, I just, like, I don't even have to talk about chakras. It's more this idea that I can open up my body all the way. Like, that I can, my yoni can be so open that it actually feels like someone is penetrating my heart. Mm. And the energy, the sexual energy can flow through my whole body. And when that happens, when I'm open like this, giving a blowjob or receiving a dick in my mouth feels different yeah and can feel so pleasurable versus me not being in that space and receiving a dick in my mouth when you're fully open you're fully open there's no there's no block yeah which means you're not violating a boundary yes and i think in that space of full openness which is created by uh uh loving container where you feel Mm. super safe a lot of like groundwork kind of like the relation like work in your relationship feeling safe uh feeling sexually safe having talked about things 
um, get, getting your body opened up and all of this, then you can, you can tap into a space where you are fully open and where so many things can be done to you or like where you can, you can practice sexual activities that are actually quite intense and it feels so orgasmic. Mm. It's okay to talk about throat fucking on this podcast, but do not, under any circumstance, bring up chakras. And I want to thank you for listening to this shorter episode as I experiment with releasing two episodes a week and just taking one longer conversation and splitting it in half just to see what happens. Thank you. And if you have feedback, comments, questions, send me an email, sean at thelovedrive.com. That's S-H-A-U-N. Have a beautiful week and stay tuned for part two of this episode coming at you on Thursdays.